We're in the book of Acts, chapter number 16. And um, aren't you glad you got a Bible? Aren't you glad God speaks to us and helps us and he leaves us in a world with a roadmap and tells us here's what happened. But some of that is historical. And in the Old Testament, God gave Joshua to Esther the books of history of the Israelite people. In the New Testament, he gives the book of Acts as the history of the local church, in which you and I are now a part of that if we're saved and been baptized, and we have been added to the work of the Lord. By the way, Pastor Warren, I'm sorry that I've ignored you all service long. This is Pastor Warren. Did you want to come preach this morning, or you want to let me go ahead? Pastor Warren is from Shelbyville, Tennessee. He's the pastor of the Victory Baptist Church, a wonderful church that just has a great Bible printing ministry, an evangelistic ministry. We're so glad you're here today. I look forward to seeing you after the service. Glad to have you. But uh, we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of yielded believers. By the way, I love the local church. Now, I think every Christian has three things that God's given them so we can be strong and stable. The three-legged uh, stool, if you would. You wouldn't want to sit on a two-legged stool. You'd fall down, right? Or a one-legged stool. You can go to the circus if you wanted to. But, but uh, you want to have a stool that has at least three legs. And the three solid legs I see for the Christian is God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's body, the local church. When a Christian is committed to the Word of God, not just on Sunday, but every day reading the Bible, meditating, thinking about the Bible, uh, that's, that's one-third of, of, of a stable Christian. The other third is the Holy Spirit that come inside of us at salvation. Now, he came in. He'll never leave. You're not a hotel. He doesn't check in and check out when you get him mad. No, once he comes in, he stays there, but he needs to be acknowledged. He needs you and I to be sensitive and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let your Holy Spirit prompt me to do this, not do this, whatever the Lord wants you to do. And then the third thing is the local church. It's you. A church is not a building. You don't measure a church by buildings, bodies, and bucks, and finances. It's not what a church is. You don't measure a church by its size. You measure it by its sort. Is it Christ-like? But every Christian needs to be a part of a church. And if you're not going to be, you're not going to center your life around local church, you're not going to be the Christian God wants you to be. We don't worship the church, we worship Jesus. But God calls the church the body of Jesus, the bride of Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20, as Apostle Paul is talking to the pastors in Miletus, he says, look, he says, take heed therefore to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And he tells them to feed the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Well, it's a, it's a definite verse that tells us the deity of Jesus because he calls it the block of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. What, who lost blood on the cross? Jesus. Jesus is God. But he says, as a result of that, if Jesus would give his blood for the church, do you think you and I ought to go there? <laughs> do you think we ought to be a part of that? Do you think we ought to link up arm in arm with a local church? You better believe it. Now, you won't find a perfect local church. If you ever do, stay away from it. Don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> there's no perfect church. There's a perfect Bible. There's a perfect Holy Spirit, but there's no perfect church. But every church needs called out. What is a church? It's not a building. It's not a nomination. It is a group of people that have accepted Jesus, who've been baptized uh, into the body of Christ, and now have voluntarily chosen to unite and serve the Lord together in that local church. It's great. It's a wonderful plan. Well, the church now has grown. 
The year is approximately A.D. 51, 52, 53. Jesus went back to heaven uh, about 18, 19 years. And 19 years now, Jesus has gone back to heaven. Now the church has exploded in many ways. The main nemesis of the church and the adversary of the church, Saul of Tarshish, has now become Paul, the missionary. He has came to know Christ in chapter 9, and Peter has learned about the Gentile world and wanted to come to Christ in chapter 10. Chapter 11, they arrest and, and they kill the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, James, take his head off. They arrested Peter. God let James go into heaven, but he kept Peter here in this world for a little longer, and that's his business. By the way, uh, God doesn't owe us anything, not even an explanation. God is he's in the heavens. He does whatsoever he wants to. If he lets your grandma die at 73 and let another person live to 84, that's his business. If he takes your child by a car wreck and takes another child through a, a battle with a leukemia, that's his business. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. Take him off trial. Quit arguing with him. Love him and trust him that he knows what's best. How you were raised and what came up. Boy, many people spend so much time, as I've already said this morning, ignoring all the things that God has done for them and then getting mad at God for a couple things that were done to them and spending their whole life fighting with a God who's a lot bigger than you and your arms are too short to box with him. Don't do that. It's just that's dumb. Nonetheless, God made decisions and he's working and he can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. None of us have a perfect scenario going around us. None of us have come down just a perfect line and every, every day has been a sunshiny day. God knows how to help us through the difficult times of life. He knows how to bring uh, blessings out of a burden. He knows how to bring uh, a, a miracle out of a mess. He knows how to give more grace to our sinful state. And even if it's not our sin, it's someone else's sin, God can still work through it. Trust Him. Obey Him. Believe Him. Stay faithful to Him. But now in chapter 16, the Apostle Paul has already been on one missionary journey with Barnabas. They've come back. They have the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. We've talked about that. They work through several areas of conflict. And then there's conflict with Paul and Barnabas, which we talked about that recently in a message, and how to resolve conflict and what to understand about conflict. And that sometimes good people disagree, and they can separate without bitterness, and they can work through things, and God can use them, and he did. But now it's time to go out again, and the Apostle Paul this time cannot go with Barnabas, so he goes with Silas, and Silas is one of the main movers and shakers in the church of Jerusalem. He's been sent up to Antioch to confirm and remind people about what is expected out of the new believers who have come to know Jesus throughout the Gentile world, and that was they weren't supposed to offend God by drinking blood or eating things that were strangled. They were not supposed to offend their brothers and sisters by eating food that had been offered to idols knowingly to hurt their brother and sister. And then not to offend themselves by practicing immorality and fornication. He said, look, whatever you do, don't be an offense. Don't be an offense to God. Don't be offense to others and don't be offense to yourself. And that was the message that was sent to them. And now Silas is there and Paul says it's time to go back. So while Barnabas and John Mark go south to the, to the island of Cyprus, the Apostle Paul, can we put the screen up there real quickly? Put the map. As you can see, that little island is not unmarked there. That's the island of Cyprus. So Barnabas and his, uh, his nephew, John Mark, they go down through there and confirm the souls. 
uh, Paul and Silas are up in Antioch on the far right there. So now they go up and they make their way across. They see some of their old believers that God had saved on their first missionary trip in Iconium and Pisaea and Antioch and Lystra and Derbe and Tarshish go back to Paul's hometown. They spend some time there. At Lystra, um, Silas and Paul pick up Timothy, the young man in the church at Lystra. Probably he had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. We spoke about that in previous messages. But um, Paul's thought was to go to Asia, where Ephesus, see Ephesus there, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So in his heart, he says, I'm going to go south. There's a lot of people down there. We've got to work on that. And the Spirit of God said, no. God says, no, I, I don't want that. He said, no, that's where I want to go. And the Bible says the Spirit of God forbade him and said, no, you're not going to go there. Well, then he thought, I'm going to go up north, up to the northern part of that area uh, of Bethania. And God says, no, I don't want you to go there. So he just took it and continued on. And you see the word Troas right there? He finds himself in Troas, and that's where we find our story today. He is in Troas, and while he is there, God gives him a vision. And the vision is of a man that's on the other side of that water there in the, in the, in the Macedonian area, Philippi, Neapolis, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, those areas, Apollonia. He said, there's a guy that's from that area in his dream that says, come over and help us. Well, he now understands why he couldn't go south and he couldn't go north. Because God had somebody who needed to hear the gospel, and a lot of somebodies, who needed to hear the gospel over there. And by the way, that's why it's so important that you and I, grandpa, grandma, son, daughter, teenager, child, everybody needs to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. God's talking. God's got something to say. He says it through his word, and he says it through his spirit. And he oftentimes says it in his church assembly. You can hear the word of God any place on the planet, but you'll never hear it just quite like you hear it when you hear it in church. You could read this passage of Scripture just like uh, I'm reading it now, and, and God can speak to you, but he'll never speak to you exactly the same way as your Sunday school teacher will teach it. When you hear the Word of God explained to you, we can continue this. It's a 2,800-mile missionary trip altogether, and most of the time on foot, and you can see there's a long voyage there at the end going, going from Ephesus down to Caesarea. You may take that off there, and unfortunately, you'll have to look at me now, folks. I'm sorry about that. The map is much more beautiful, I know. I've got a face made for radio. The same time as we look at this passage of Scripture, let's pick, let's pick it up and let's look at some things beginning at verse number 9, would you please? And a vision appeared, and let's back up at verse number 8, and they passing through Mysia uh, came down to where? We saw Troas on the map. So they're at the water brink there. They come there, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia praying him, saying, would you read the rest of the line with me? Come over into Macedonia, and I want you to notice, first of all, this past scripture, the call of the world. There are people all over the world who need to hear Jesus. They don't know what they need. I don't think this guy knew what he needed. Macedonia was filled with religion, but this guy is empty. This guy needs something the religion can't give him. He's going to the well of religion, and he's not getting a drink. He's empty. 
And in the vision, Paul falls asleep and God shows him there's a man. It's obvious Macedonia. I don't know if it's by his apparel, his language, what it is, but he says, please help us. Let me tell you something. There are people in my neighborhood and your neighborhood who are saying in their hearts, I need some help. I need some help. What I was raised in is just not doing it for me. Brother Anish, would you stand real quick, if you would, please? Brother Anish is right here. He was raised in Hyderabad, India, in a Hindu home. He's a wonderful man, but he lived right here in Hammond. Someone put a track on his door. Another boy said, would you take me over to that church? And he just dropped him off and picked him up. And one day he got plastered with a difficult time in 2017. Is that the correct date or not? 18. In March, coming up this next month, he was hit emotionally with a very heavy burden. And he went to the Hindu temple. He couldn't get any help. He went with the Mormons. They couldn't help him. He went to other things that he knew and nothing was going. And finally, he walked through the doors of this church after several things that God did. And Miss Ann O'Kelly met him right there. And he just says, can someone tell me about Jesus? I heard he's wonderful, but I don't know anything about him. We took him to a discipleship class, and later that day, he came to know Jesus right over there behind those, those glass walls. Thank you, Bernice. And now he's in the Bible Institute, has a burden for his own people as a soul winner, loves and gives, and has ministered in missions conferences all over the country. God has used him in a wonderful way. But the truth matters, at one time, he's sitting at home going, help, I need some help. There are people in our, in our sphere of influence who need help. There are people all over the world that are saying, can you help us? That's why we give to missions, why we show 10 missionary store, pictures on a Sunday and oftentimes do a video we can. That's why we're going to have the Rick Martin this evening to be in our service. Why? Because there is a cry of the world that says, help us. What are you doing about that? Are you sleepwalking? Are you just, you're just numb to that? Are you apathetic toward that? Would your tithing envelope this morning, would it say that you care about missions? Would it say that you care about the things of God, that you'll put a, a gallon of diesel in a bus of one of our 80 buses that go out all over this country or this area? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you, do you have gospel tracts with you? Are you talking to someone? Are you praying for the lost? Do you go around your neighborhood and think of your people in that apartment, that place? Are you praying for them? Because somebody is saying, help me. There's a cry of the world. I love this next thing, if I could, please. I want you to look at verse number 10. The Bible says, and after he, who's the he there? Paul. After he had seen the vision, immediately, what's the next word? We endeavored to go to Macedonia. It looks like Luke is in this group now, and then, and then Silas, and then Timothy. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called who? Us. To preach the gospel unto them, Macedonia. I want you to notice something real quickly. Not only the call of the world, but the commitment of other workers. Listen, everyone has a role. There is something God wants us to do, and no doubt the work of God is lordship, leadership, but partnership is huge. God has given us something to do, and we need committed people to do it. I love to work on a bus route, but quite frankly, it's not going to be my lot in life at this right this time to do a bus route and pastor this church. But somebody's going to do that. I don't think your kids would like me to be their nursery worker, but I'm willing to if I had to. 
But it's kind of hard to be doing this and a nursery worker at the same time. But committed workers who will go and put on a little, a little, a little uh, a nursery gown and work and take care of children, it's needed. And some of us, we don't even think about that. Somebody needs to usher and welcome people that come in. Somebody needs to sit at a, at a camera, and someone needs to work in the, in the AV booth, and somebody needs to be a security guard, and someone has to drive a bus. But everybody needs to be committed to doing something. And here's what I found out, friend. People who are committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, who are involved in the work of the Lord, there's something special that happens for them. God provides provision and protection to them. Here's what I find out. When people stop serving, they become armchair quarterbacks. They become very cynical, skeptical, somewhat critical. It goes with the territory. But people who are busy oftentimes are too busy to find things going wrong. <laughs> they got enough going wrong with what they're working on. Had a man the other day tell me, you know, Pastor, I think the Christian life is, is kind of like this. If you'll stay busy, God takes care of you. If you'll keep serving him, he'll take care of you. He said this, if your boss sends you to Charlotte, North Carolina for training for two weeks, you can expect that he's going to provide your hotel, your transportation, your food while you're there, and the expense of training you. He'll, he'll, cover, the, he'll cover the cost. And it's understood because you're serving with him. You're doing something he wants you to do. But you just wake up one morning and say, you know, that was a really good training trip. I think I'm going to go over to Charlotte again. When you go the second time, you're on your own dime. <laughs> you're on your own dime. He, you're not doing it on his You're not doing it with him. You're doing it on your own. And you don't necessarily have the provision and the protection and all the things that go with that. But when you serve God, you get to find some things. I see here the cry of the world. Number two, and the call, I see here committed workers who are dedicated, dependable, and determined. If this is where we're going, then what is my role to get there? If we're trying to get another person to the discipleship, how can I help that happen? If we're trying to get some person who's already saved, baptized, how can I help them do that? If we need to watch a baby in the nursery, how can I help make that happen? How can I get involved in that? If there's a bus that's rolling and I can drive it, why in the world would you sit home when you know there's a, there's a bus that needs to be driven? And you have the ability to do that. If, you, if God's calling you to do something for the work of the Lord, don't just sit soaking sour and watch the world go by. Get engaged and dedicated. And sometimes what you cannot do with energy, you should do with urgency. Some of us who are looking back much over our life, we have much less in front of us than behind us. Hey, listen, what you can't do with energy, you might want to do with your checkbook. Do something to give and support and encourage. When you come to church, don't just come to yourself. Bring a note for a younger couple. Look for a single mom trying to raise her kids by herself and encourage that mom. Look for a single dad whose wife has passed away or, or gone away and trying to raise those kids. And instead of having to say, well, that kid doesn't have a dress on. This and hey, what can you do to help them? Find something you can commit to dedicate and determine and uh, be dependable in your role of excellence. I love this. One man got a vision. We all got behind that vision, and we went ahead and did it together. I like that. I want you to notice something else, and that is the contribution of women. Look at the next verse, if you would, please, in verse number 14. Uh, verse number 12, the Bible tells us, and when it came to Philippi, which is a chief city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, we were in a, we were in a city abiding certain days. Verse 13, read it with me, would you please? And on the Sabbath, we went out to the city by a... 
And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. Verse 14 says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, that's in Turkey, Asian Minor. She's not from there, but she lives there, which is a seller of purple. She's got business. She's probably wealthy. Which worship God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened, and she attended unto the things which are spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide here, stay here. And she constrained us. She really put the pressure on us. It's an interesting story here. I find here several things that bless me. Of course, they, they tell me two things. One, if, if there's not enough Jewish people, there's not at least 10 solid Jewish families in the community, they couldn't have a synagogue. So they, they, normally Paul would go to the synagogue first, and then he would, he would go to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. But here, if there wasn't a synagogue, oftentimes people who were interested in the God of the Bible would go to a body of water. There's another thing that I read recently is that on Philippi, there was a, a sign over the door, any unknown religions are not welcome. If you bring a new religion, stay out of our city. And so people who would worship differently would go outside the city, and he went out there by this river, and he sees this girl gathered around with her girlfriends praying. And Paul comes and speaks to them, and he begins to talk to this group of ladies. And the Bible says, he talked to the group of ladies, and specifically Lydia, whose heart God had done what? Open. Here we find a curious sinner. A curious sinner. She was, she was searching. She was praying to a God probably that she believed, but she didn't know the truth. She didn't hear about Jesus. And he goes out there, and so we can imagine these four men, Luke at least, and, and Silas and Timothy and and Paul, they had been in Philippi several days, the Bible says, and on this Sabbath day, there was no synagogue to go to. They go out by the river and they see these girls talking and praying. And they get engaged in a conversation. They share the gospel with her and she gets saved. And she doesn't only get saved, after she gets saved, she gets baptized. By the way, after you get saved, guess what you should do? Get baptized. And then other people in her house, I don't know if it's her mother, I don't know if it's her husband, I don't know if it's her sisters or her nieces and nephews or her own children, but the Bible says they got saved and they got baptized. And now there's a Christian home. The first Christian home in Philippi, no doubt, probably was Lydia's home. When I think about Lydia, I just thank God for the contribution of women in the work of the Lord. And I want to say to all of our precious girls, we're getting ready to have our ladies uh, conference here coming up in April. I don't remember the dates. Linda, can you help me? Eight and nine. And I, I love that event. I, I try to stay as far away from it as possible. But I love it because what happens there, things happen there in the hearts of our precious girls. Something happens there. And Girls from all over the country will fly in and be a part of it just for a couple days, things we get to do, and girls will come, and something happens inside of them. You know, ladies are not, they're asked in the Bible not to be pastors. Not, they're not supposed to be pastors, and I don't care who argues with that. I think the Bible is very clear about that. They're, but the ladies are bare. Their contribution is huge. We see it all through the Bible. We see it here in Lydia. I think I thank God for ladies for the first thing that comes to my mind, I thank God for the spirit of ladies. I would not want to go to an all-man church. 
A bunch of grumps just looking around at each other, complaining about how the food's so terrible. But you know, God brings a special spirit to a church through ladies. Ladies, thank you. Thank you for what you bring to the table in your spirit. I think some of the most generous people in Christendom are ladies. They're sharing people. They're sacrificial people. They've been through the pains of having children and sacrificing for, for the benefit of many in their home. I find ladies are not only spiritual and bring a great spirit, but they're sacrificial. They're giving. Oftentimes, it's the ladies that say, honey, let's do something about that. Let's help that person. We can't go to the retreat, but let's help someone else go. Let's do, let's do something. That, that family needs some help. They bring about a sharing part that's so vital and so important. I think ladies also, I love the way ladies sing. I didn't know Katrina was going to sing when I prepared this message today, but beautiful song about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love to hear men sing, but boy, I love to hear a lady sing in praise. Miss Janet's the last girl when she sings the beautiful songs over here, or April Bicknell, or whoever it is. I just love to know that they're, they're ladies that have, bring a great spirit. They're sacrificial. They're serving. I, I can't imagine all the work that's done behind the scenes by precious ladies. The decorations, they're not here by men. At Christmas time, the girls, they have ideas about what to do. Thank God for their creativity and their serving. Thank God for ladies who are soul winners. Think about Miss Sue Pro and, and, uh, and, and others who have followed the Miss Faye Dotson and uh, Miss Cherry and other people who have been giving the gospel out. Lydia was like that. When Lydia got saved, I'm sure that whole group of girlfriends got to hear a mouthful from Lydia. She went home and said, man, you guys need to hear what this guy said. And, and I got, I'm getting baptized. We ought to get baptized. If you get saved, get baptized with me. And boy, she encouraged him to do it. I thank God for the contribution. See, what we're talking about here is how God used the church, the early church, just 19, 18 years after Jesus goes back to heaven, and how he can still use that today and lessons we can learn. We can learn there's still a cry of the world that says, help us. We can learn that there's still a need for committed workers to say, what's my role? Oh, Sam Jones was a great preacher of yesteryear, and he would go to a town, he would preach really hard about sin on Saturday night and Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Monday. By Tuesdays, if you weren't, if you weren't right with God, there was something wrong with you because he preached the devil out of you. He was pouring out every sin. And then he would have testimony times before the evening service on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. He would say, good. Let's talk about some things you're going to quit. Some things, some sin that were present just a few days ago that you're going to quit. And the little guy stepped up. I'm disobeying my mom, dad. I'm going to quit. Hey, man. Another guy said, I've been drinking, and I know it's wrong, and God's convicting me about it. I'm going to quit. Another lady stood up and said, I've been gossiping, saying negative things about people, and I'm going to quit. Someone, I'm disobeying my mom and dad. I'm going to quit. And boy, people were clapping, and boy, things were going and changing, uh, taking place. I've been had a dirty mouth. I've been cussing. I'm going to quit. I've been stingy, haven't been given to the Lord, haven't been given everything else and, and then given and not given anything to God. I'm going to quit. And one little old lady stood up in the, in the second row after about 15 of those testimonies. She goes, preacher, I ain't been doing nothing and I'm going to quit. <laughs> if you ain't doing nothing, quit. Find something to do. Get engaged. Be a committed worker in the cause of Christ. If you're a precious lady, well, keep on sharing. Keep on singing. Keep on serving. 
Keep on that right spirit. Bring that element of, uh, into God's work that we so desperately need. And then I think the last thing I'll share with you is that the converts that wait. You know, God just shares with us three main people that get saved at Philippi. The first is Lydia, and she's a curious sinner. She's already searching, and she just needed someone to help her understand what she was searching for. The next sinner is a demon-possessed damsel. Our time is just about up, but would you, would you look at it just real quick? I think you need to see it. If we can, please look at verse 16. And after Lydia gets saved, then it came to pass as she went, as they went to where? Where'd they go? That a certain damsel possessed with what? Divination. They met us and brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. One of the religions of the day was the same religion now. It's this, it's this fortune teller and stuff. It's this psychic work. But this girl wasn't doing it in her own ability. She was doing it. By the way, if you're messing around with that, stop. Get rid of your horoscope. Get rid of the psychic stuff. You don't need to know that. If you know God, that's what you need. Nonetheless, this demon-possessed damsel, she shows up following around the Apostle Paul, and especially when it's time to pray. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure about this, but I had that problem too. As soon as when I go to pray, I can get some demonic activity going on. And when, they, when, when it was time to pray, but the devil hates praying Christians. I think when it's prayer time in our church, it's kind of hard. Well, you can listen to me for 30 minutes, and I probably bore the snot out of you. You know, some people talk in their sleep. Other people talk in pastor's, pastor's message, you know. They're, they're sleeping and pastor's talking. <laughs> but you know, the truth of the matter is, we can sometimes put up with 30 minutes of, of preaching. We can listen to a four-minute song. But we pray for four minutes. We think it's been 25 at least. There's some things come into our mind, and we're thinking, why in the world is this so difficult? Just a few paces from here in my office, sometimes I can study for hours. I get on my knee for just a few minutes, and boy, I start thinking of all the people I need to go visit. I need to write that letter. I get to do this. i got to text this person. Anything to kind of get my mind off of prayer. At a time when prayer, we were going to prayer, Satan would send his little demon-possessed damsel, fortune teller, and she wasn't good publicity. But she would say, these are the servants of the Most High God that bring to us the way of salvation. These are the servants. And she, here a demon-possessed person is pointing out four soul winners going to prayer. And the Bible tells us that people were getting money because of her gifts. She was a slave girl, that her gifts were being prostituted for money. And the people who had her was making money. Y'all, you want to know your future? I got someone who can help you. Oh, yeah. How much? $100. $200? All right. Tell her, tell her, girl, what, what, what's going on there? But now she's distracted by these soul winners. They're going to prayer. And the Bible says, this she did many days. This is just, this is baffles me. You know, sometimes, you know that Satan is a very persistent foe. But also, Paul was a very patient servant. He understood the moment he did something with this lady, there was going to start a, start a problem, and it, the problem came. We'll talk about that next time we meet together. 
Before we close today, I want to just make sure that everybody here knows how to get to heaven from here. If you're here and you're not sure if you died today, you go to heaven. You or someone who needs Jesus. Maybe you're in that place. You're saying, help. I'm confused. I'm not sure how to get to heaven. I'm not sure how to be saved. I'm not sure what to do with this burden of sin. But you could be saved today if you let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. The number one reason God gave us the Bible is to show us how to get to heaven from here, how to be reconciled to God, how to have eternal life. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, as soon as we begin to sing, I want you to come and let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Don't hesitate. See, Pastor, it's a big room. A lot of people are here. There's nothing in the world worth going to hell over. Don't let pride or procrastination keep you from getting saved. If you are saved, ask yourself, Am I sensitive to the call of the world? Am I thinking about the people around me? Do I have a gospel track? Am I praying for the lost? Am I giving to world evangelism? Am I doing something every day so someone can hear about Jesus? Are you a committed worker? Are you doing something with the Lord? Are you a precious lady? Are you still contributing? What God's called you to do, you're vital to the work of the Lord. And may all of us understand there's converts waiting. Some are curious. Some are captive. They're enslaved to addiction, satanic control. And others of them are so callous like the jailer, hardened, frustrated with life, calloused. All of them were reached by the power of Jesus. You can be too.